Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast, a part of JewishCoffeehouse.com. The show on where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. so much for the continuous feedback that you are sending me regarding past episodes and this last episode where some of you have requested to bring in a more practical view on infertility and giving the tools they need to be more sensitive. So I just want you to know I have an episode that is incredible, that has a lot of that included for you. So stay tuned for an episode like that. I'm curious what you do think about this episode today. So make sure to reach out to me. Make sure to join the WhatsApp group if you haven't yet. And as always, a reminder that I am a success podcast coach and I help people launch their podcasts. And my business has been growing thanks to you. So if you really enjoy the show, you can support the show by sending me clients. And of course, stay tuned until the end of the episode to find out what's coming on next week. Welcome back to the Francisca Show, Friends Dance. Today we are doing a fun and different type of episode. I was thinking about the holiday season that's coming up in America and in the world, probably excluding Israel. Everyone is super in holiday season. And it made me think what about all the Jews who celebrate Xmas and New Year's? And what is it like for them? So I went onto Facebook, as always. I posted, I asked around, and I got such an incredible response because it was so much better than what I ever imagined. So I'm so excited to do this episode with our guest today, Rachel Simon. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So Rachel is an educator, wife, and mother living in Elkins Park, so not so far away from us, for me. And without giving any more away, I'll have us dive right in. Rachel, tell us a little bit about how you grew up and how your story begins connected in relation to our topic today. Sure. So I was born to a Catholic mother and a Jewish father, and they made the decision when I was born. I was born in the late 80s. They made the decision to raised me Jewish in the reform movement. So not long before that, the reform movement of Judaism had decided that they would recognize patrilineal descent. So that meant that if you have a Jewish father, as long as you, you know, celebrate the holidays or go to religious school, you can be considered Jewish. And so that's how they decided to raise me. My mother actually grew up in a Jewish area, so she was very familiar with the traditions. Most of her friends were Jewish. It wasn't that bizarre for her, I don't think. I think for her, it was important that we have a religion in general. And she kind of 
didn't care what it was. She just wanted to make sure that we would be raised in a religion. Whereas uh, my father, it was very important to him that we be a Jewish family because he came from a strong religious background and he wanted to pass that on. My mother, I don't think, you know, even though she supported raising me Jewish, she didn't want to convert herself. She continued practicing Christianity. I did not know that when I was really young. Like I knew she wasn't Jewish. I knew she was Catholic, but I never saw her practice. I found out later that she used to, on December 24th, she used to go to church after we'd all gone to sleep. Like, and I learned that later, but we were kind of always told we were Jewish and we went to Hebrew school Sundays and Wednesdays. And, you know, we learned the prayers, we celebrate the holidays and we used to celebrate Christian holidays, sort of, as in we would participate. So we, and pretty fully, like we would do Santa and Easter bunny, even (laughs) and things like that. Like we would have all of that, but we were always kind of told it was my mother's holidays, even though we were, 100% participating in them. So I kind of always just believed that I was Jewish and that nobody would question that. Like I didn't know that until I was about five years old. So pretty early, someone told me on the school bus (laughs) that I wasn't that, or she said, well, you're half Jewish. And that confused me. So I went home and I asked my, my parents what that meant. And I think it was at that time that my dad said, well, there's not really such thing as half Jewish, but there are people who would say that you're not Jewish. And I later learned that some people, even within my own family who were Jewish, kind of didn't recognize my existence. And so like there was an, a great aunt who refused to recognize my parents' marriage. And so it didn't ever, I never interacted with her. And I, I kind of learned about that a little bit later, but um, that's kind of the first time I knew about it. But again, I had a strong Jewish identity and it wasn't really confusing yet. So that came a little bit later. By the way, at the time, I think it's more normal now to have families like this. At the time, I didn't really know anybody else who had one Jewish parent, especially I didn't know anyone who had a Jewish father and a non-Jewish mother who was being raised with Jewish traditions. Now I know I know several, but I just didn't know any at the time. And I grew up in a very Jewish area. So I think that things have changed in that way. So I was unusual at that time. Okay. So when you say your father was raised with a strong Jewish background, what do you mean? So he had a very interesting, actually, (laughs) dynamic in his family. So his mother was never really was raised with religion. I mean, she was Jewish, but she never was raised with any kind of religion, apparently. Whereas my my grandfather was raised, you know, keeping Shabbos and kosher and going to an Orthodox shul. So he continued doing those things to an extent, I think like less and less as my father got older. So my father's older brother kind of remembers it more, but he's still, they belong to an Orthodox synagogue. He didn't keep Shabbos anymore when I knew him, but he still kept Yom Kippur, like things like that. So he had more of a stronger religious background than many other people I knew in the reform movement who's like than their grandparents may have had. And I think the culture was really important to him too. My grandfather used to bring us challah every Friday afternoon. And right before Shabbos, he would call us and say Shabbat Shalom like every week. And now my father has actually started doing that for us. 
which is really nice. So, so things like that, like he was very, and, and, you know, like we did too, like he lit, they lit Shabbat candles every day, Shabbat dinner, things like that. So he kind of wanted to keep that in his family when he had a family, but he wanted to marry my mother. And that's just kind of how he found a way around it, I guess, or how he saw fit to kind of keep the Jewish traditions and still marry someone who wasn't Jewish. Okay. So let's move on to the parts where it started getting confusing for you. Yeah. So I, I kind of, a couple of things happened that made me think more about it. I mean, I always was aware that, you know, there were people who weren't going to consider me Jewish past, you know, the time I was five. And it didn't really bother me so much when I went to college and I was part of the Jewish community there. I I didn't, it didn't bother me so much, but I did always feel like I, I didn't really belong anywhere. Like I started to have that feeling maybe as a teenager, like I'm not Catholic. I don't know anything about that religion really, but I'm not considered Jewish by many people, most people probably. And so where do I belong? So I kind of already started thinking that way, but things really came to a head when I moved to Morocco. So I lived there for a few years and religion is so important there in general. And so I gravitated towards the Jewish community there because that's where people are so defined by their religion. So that's kind of where, where I fit. And I felt really comfortable with them. And, you know, I found people in that country that I shared something with, but then I always felt like I was hiding something because I didn't want them to know that my mother wasn't Jewish because then they would, I was, they're going to cast me out. They're not going to accept me. And I hated that feeling. Like I had to hide. What were you doing in Morocco? I taught in a Canadian school and I also worked in a language center a study abroad program as well. Nice. That so was a great experience. <laughs> and it definitely changed me in that way because I started thinking more about what it meant to be Jewish and was I Jewish <laughs> and what could I do about it? So at the time, I kind of just thought, you know, well, if if I'm not going to be, I, I'm just going to be okay with it. I'm not going to, I'm just going to keep things to myself. And then you know, maybe it won't be as important to me when I move back. Maybe it won't matter anymore. And I'll just move on with my life. And I, I kind of felt like almost an anger that I, this identity that was so important to me and these, this, even the religion was very important to me, not in the same way it is today, but I still liked to pray. I still like to like Rosh Hashanah always felt so holy to me every year and all these things that that were important to me. I kept Pesach, even though I didn't keep kosher the rest of the year, but all these things were so important to me. And I felt like this anger, I felt like nobody understood who I was and, and people were denying who I was. I kind of felt that way. Then after I lived in Morocco, I actually decided to go into Jewish education because Judaism was very important to me. And my first year teaching in the U S I worked in a non-denominational school and immediately I had coworkers telling me, oh, but you're not Jewish. And I felt very insulted. <laughs> and I don't think they meant to insult me. I think there would have been a more sensitive way to kind of approach the topic. Like, I think it's their right to approach it, but I don't, they didn't necessarily do it in a sensitive way. What is the sensitive way? Because I was just on the other end of that. 
And I was coming from a place of don't worry, I'm not putting the expectations of what I'm sharing with you about my holidays that you're supposed to be doing that also. So I'm like, don't worry, you're not Jewish. (laughs) But I I feel like I've insulted the other party. And and he knew he wasn't. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a way to say, say it like halakhically Jewish or say, you know, I wouldn't, you could even say like, I wouldn't consider you Jewish. Even that's like less insulting than, than I think being told, oh, you're not Jewish at all. Interesting. Okay. Or to say you're not Jewish, but I understand you have a Jewish background or something like that. Because I, I think I felt like, and I, I continue to feel like this sometimes, like, like because I wasn't halakhically Jewish as a child, that it kind of can mean to some people, like, I don't have any Jewish heritage or background. And actually, I do. And the people in my life who came before me who are Jewish in my family are, you know, important to me and important to who I am as a person. So I think that's why it comes off as offensive. But I think the people like they, they meant well, and these are people that I'm friends with. It's not like, <laughs> it was insulting enough to not have a relationship with them. But actually, one of these people, I actually, my first Shabbos and I was in the conversion process later, which I'll get to. She was the first person I stayed with and, and taught me. So, so she was very helpful to me. But, but yeah, so I worked in this setting and I was told I wasn't Jewish and I was teaching Torah <laughs> and it, it felt ridiculous to be told by the majority of the people in a non-denominational school that I wasn't Jewish and yet I was supposed to be teaching religious topics. So that happened. And then I, I had kind of a moment. I was, had been thinking about this and I was talking to a friend at a Purim party, actually. I said, you know, I really hate that I have this strong identity that's denied by so many people. And he said, you know, and he was Orthodox. And so he was one of the people telling me, you know, I wasn't Jewish. And he said, you know, even if you don't do it for yourself, do you want your children to go through the same thing where they feel, think that they're Jewish and the rest of the world or a lot of the world does not. So do it for your children. And that was the moment that I made the decision that I was going to go through an Orthodox conversion. I remember it was that day. I think it was a I think Purim was a Sunday that year. And it was that night I called my mother and I told her, because I felt like she was the first person to sh- who should know, because I knew that she put so much effort into trying to raise me Jewish. And she didn't understand any of this. So she didn't know any of this. And she was the first person I told. And I said, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm going through a conversion process. And that was the start of it. But at that time, I still didn't think, even though religion was important to me in a way, like a much, again, a much different way than it is today, even though it was important to me, I, I was still like, well, I'm going to do this conversion because I want my children to be halakhically Jewish, but I'm never going to keep Shabbat or I'm never, I'm never going to fully keep kosher. Maybe at the time I was vegetarian. I, I, I kind of felt like that was my version of keeping kosher, but I said, I never do it the same way that, you know, my Orthodox friends do. 
And then I started the process. And of course, through the process, I was realized, wow, I really feel like this is meaningful to me. And I really want to continue. Um, This isn't just to get, you know, a stamp of approval. This is something that I want for my life. And so I continued to practice Orthodox Judaism to this day. So it really did change my life. And probably in a good way, I think I don't know that I would have been from Jew if I hadn't had to go through this conversion process. If I'd had the other parent was Jewish, I might just be living the same way I had as a child. That's so interesting that you say that. It's like you had to make a personal choice out of it and choose Mm -hmm. it and really learn it and take it on. Yeah. Is there leniency in the conversion process when your father is Jewish? So I did, I remember I did graduate school, (laughs) some research on this. I have a degree in Jewish education and I did find in Gemara, there is some support for that, but I don't know that it's interesting because I feel like everybody's conversion process is different. So I don't know if everybody's experience would be like mine, but I did feel like I don't think I had to learn less. I don't think there was less leniency. There's more leniency in kind of how much I had to learn and how much I had to do. But I do think that there was a lot, I got a lot more support, I think, than I think other people might. The first person actually who worked with me was my grandfather's rabbi. And so he knew my family and it it was thrilling to him that, you know, he thought kind of I was lost forever. And he, myself and my older sister, and, you know, I think it was thrilling for him. So he was very helpful to me and other people too were, were helpful to me. And I think, I think the rabbis who I worked with, a few of them, including the the head of the Beit Din said to me, you know, this is something we, we know that you have a Jewish background. This is really just kind of a formality, a formality. Yes. That's exactly the word that they used. It didn't, it didn't feel like that when I was going through the process, it was definitely a challenging process, but it did make me feel like they were on my side when they said things like that. And they understood what was difficult for me. And, and they even, the rabbi that I worked most closely with towards the end of my conversion, he actually advised me not to change the Hebrew name that my parents had given me, even though I actually wanted to. He said that I should show them respect and I should keep that name. So I did. That's beautiful. So let's go into the topic of today, which is the dynamics of celebrating, contradicting, cultural, Mm -hmm. very, very intrinsic and personal family holiday time. I don't know if my question makes sense (laughs) Um, grammatically, but let's go ahead with that. I, I think the holidays that my mother celebrated were kind of framed like they were not her holidays. My ho- they were her holidays. And I think I still see them that way to an extent. To me, it's kind of when I think about the holidays, I think of her <laughs> and I think of how she wants to celebrate them. So practically speaking, what did it look like for you? And what were the intentions then and now when you are involved in it? 
Yeah. So when I was a child, you know, we kind of, like I said, we did Santa Claus, we did Easter Bunny. Um, When you say that, what does that mean? That means you put on Christmas pajamas and you woke up in the morning and you looked for the presents under the tree. Is that it? Mm -hmm. Or am I missing something? No, that's exactly, that's exactly. I mean, we would like write letters to Santa Claus and we would go sit, sit on his lap, like even that. And we would have presents we would have stockings with presents in them. We would do a lot of family parties. So my mother's family gets together the night before on December 24th, they all get together and they celebrate. So we would do that. And for in the spring for Easter, we would kind of, I think that was a little more distant because it was often during Pesach. So we like, we would take our own food. And wouldn't eat kind of at the brunch that everyone had a lot of the time, but we would have baskets with gifts in the morning, get together with family. So looking back, I think, especially that holiday, it's bizarre to me that we participated so much because especially that, that's so religious, (laughs) the origins of it. It's interesting that, that we did and that we were still able to kind of retain this. Oh, we're Jewish. Definitely. Like, I don't understand how, they pulled that off, my parents. But we did all of that. And then when I got older, I think when I first kind of became from, I very much didn't want to do anything at all. Like didn't want to see anybody on the holidays, didn't want to talk about them or anything. And I even asked about it because it became an issue with my family. I think Easter, we don't, there's nothing, we're not involved in it at all anymore. And partially because it's not as significant in terms of family togetherness in my family. And partially because it's Pesach and we always have an excuse. (laughs) But with like Christmas and, and all of that, we kind of, I remember asking what I should do because during, and I wasn't, hadn't finished the conversion process yet, but I didn't know what to do because it was a very important day to my mother in terms of family and being together. And especially as she got older, her father had passed away and her mother, now she has dementia. And so I think some of that was impacting her and she was very upset that we wouldn't be with her. And by we, you mean you and your my My husband, husband. yeah, okay. and my children. So I, the first year, the first couple of years, I wasn't married yet. So it didn't feel as, as much of a, a big deal because it was only impacting me. But I, I asked about it because I said, what should I do? Because I don't know what I'm conflicted. I don't want to be disrespectful to my mother. And I also don't want to be disrespectful to that whole part of the family who some of them I only would see during that time of year. And I remember my rabbi said to me <laughs> that... Like, well, it's better if you do something with them on another day, but you know, it's not religious at all, whatever. Like, I think we kind of talked about it for a long time. And it's not like I ever explicitly got permission to go, but I also was not told not to. And so I kind of sit with that every year. Like, what should I do every year? It's we think about it, my husband and I. So my first couple of years, it really looked like I went to my family party um, and I would be at my mother's house, but we didn't do any gifts. And I kind of remained very distant 
when I when I got married, my husband he was raised in a from family. He was very uncomfortable with, with the idea. He was he was fine with the family party, but he was uncomfortable with going on the day of. And so that first year, you know, we were just there for like an hour or something like that, or he was there for an hour. But over the years, I think it's become something different to him. I think he kind of, first of all, he sees that religion has been completely taken out of it. My mother is not very religious at all anymore. Like I said, when she used to go to church, she doesn't do that anymore. Like a lot of that has has stopped. But I think I started to see it more as respecting my mother and honoring her and her family than celebrating the holiday. So I still feel like we're not celebrating. Like my husband says we're participating and it sounds like an excuse. And maybe (laughs) there is an element of it, but we kind of now we go to the family party Although this year we won't be able to because it's on Shabbos, but we usually go to the family party and then we'll visit, we'll be with my mother on the day of, but again, we don't do presents. We don't really do anything related to the holiday, except that we're physic, we're there and we have dinner together. And she actually in the past few years has been ordering Chinese from a kosher restaurant for, for dinner. So that's kind of like her way of being like, here, I can, I can meet you halfway. It's becomes more complicated now because we have children now and my daughter is two and a half. So, so this is the first year she kind of really understands and she spends time with my mother as when she babysits her. So my mother's house is decorated now. It, well, I didn't grow up with as many decorations she has now. My parents are no longer together and she's decided after they divorced and she married someone who was Catholic that she, she started kind of, I say she exploded <laughs> for Christmas. Like she has lots and lots of decorations and lights. So it's very exciting for my daughter to see, but she was there recently and she came back and she said, where's our tree? And I said, we don't have one in our house. It's She's starting to notice basically that these things and she sees in the neighborhood and things like that. So we do think about what should we do now, now that we have children. And every year we think about it again, like what should, how should we approach this? So it's kind of, you know, we're, we're this year we're still talking about it. We haven't really come to a conclusion what to do. To be honest, she's surrounded by it now. So I don't know how much difference it makes to go, but it does make us kind of think what what we should do going forward. But I will say that in some ways, what's kind of cool to see is how well she understands that she's Jewish versus her her first cousin and versus my mother, because we tell her like, this is the reason we do this and this is the reason we do these things differently. So she, for example, notices that we keep kosher and she talks about it all the time because she sees people not keeping kosher so much of the time. And yeah, I would love it if she had a first cousin nearby who also kept kosher and also kept Shabbos and was from, and I wish she had that too. And that would be wonderful. But the benefit of our situation is that she kind of is starting to define herself as Jewish already 
as a two and a half year old, which I think is kind of cool. Cause you didn't have that and you're able to give it to her. Yes. It's so beautiful to see how she's learning things because I haven't seen this before. You know, she's learning when she pretends to Davin or all the kind of, all the, the songs that she sings. Like, it's very exciting to me as someone who is similar to a Baltashuva. Like, I, I kind of almost consider myself more of that. See all this developing in her. Yeah, I'm curious because you have a, a high position in a reform school, right? Yeah, it's a supplementary school. So it's a Sunday, Sunday. and Wednesday program. Yeah. So you probably deal a lot with this kind of dynamic where mm-hmm. families have both or maybe triple amount of religions going on. Who knows? Right. What is your guidance? And is it more cultural or is it one big confusion box where it results in massive identity crisis eventually when they grow up? Because it's not like going to dance class and then a chess class. These are different religions that the children are getting immersed in, especially if there are different parts of the family that are engaging with different ones. Yeah. So I think for me, it ended in an identity crisis, but for most of them, if they've, their families have chosen to send them to this school, they've chosen to prioritize Judaism they may engage in a more cultural way with other holidays, but these particular students, they've made that choice. And I don't know necessarily who's halakhically Jewish. I don't ask them about their family background. A lot of times they tell me, but I don't, I don't know. But do they ever ask questions about like, how could we have this and that at the same time? No, I haven't had them ask me yet. I think for them, because there's, it's so much more common now than it was when I was growing up, I think it's almost normal now. And I think it's even normal sometimes if you have two Jewish parents in the non-Orthodox world, there are people who have two Jewish parents and would still have, might, might even have a Christmas tree or something like that. Oh, I just saw um, someone post the other day, totally not Jewish, neither parent, neither background. And they were like, hey, we're doing Thanksgiving. We're just adding the menorah to, and they lit the candle. Yeah. I think it's normal now to engage in other religions in a way that's not religious, in a way that's almost cultural. And I haven't had them seem confused about it. They sometimes I, with the older students, I've expressed to other people who are in the congregation that it is important for me that the older students are aware that they're going to go out in the world. And if they're not halakhically Jewish, they are going to learn that quickly. That might be challenging for them. So I feel like it's important for them to be aware of that because that's something they should be prepared for because it's painful. I was in that situation and I talk openly to them about the choice that I made to convert. But I think some people look at the reform movement and this decision very negatively. And I understand that perspective, but I also feel like here I am 
the daughter of someone Jewish, the granddaughter of Jewish people for generations and generations and generations. And if I hadn't been allowed to be raised in the reform movement, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but if I hadn't been allowed to be raised in the reform movement, you would have been turned off by Judaism completely. Yes, I wouldn't have had any connection to it. And I wouldn't have come back to it the way that I did. So there is something to be said for that. Is that why you are working in a non-denominational program? I mean, is that your draw to that demographic or is it accidental? I don't know. I mean, it's a little of both. It's actually the same religious school that I that you went, went to, to as a child. <laughs> so I, and I had a very positive experience. So I actually was eager to go back and teach. And then when they needed a new director, it actually coincided with when I had my first child and it's a part-time position. And I was excited to have something part-time that would still be something meaningful to me. So I took um, the position But I had a very positive experience. And I sometimes think that there's a lot of emphasis on some of the things that sometimes get lost if we focus a lot on halakha. Like there's so much emphasis on like really kind of the more like joy and love. And we have that too, obviously. Like there's so much joy in Travis. There's so much joy in all the tagim. But I sometimes feel like it's nice to have this foundation that is so wonderful, so positive, and then to then go farther and say, okay, I have such a strong positive association with the holidays. What can I do next? Like, what is the next step? So for me, I had such a positive association. And then my next step was going through this process and taking on mitzvot and living a Jewish lifestyle. So I have for this question, I'm wondering, it's probably not so relevant to you because you are still in a position where you feel like you need to be participating or you have the opportunity to still participate in those holidays that were a part of your upbringing. What do you think the challenge is for Bali Chuva or converts who completely shut that out of their life as a boundary or as a firm stance, what's the hardest thing for them? And maybe you have that too. Well, the hardest thing is just missing out on the connection with family or having even just the time spent with family. For me, that's what it's all about. And I feel that even now, just because with a family that, isn't Shomer Shabbat, it's things happen on Saturdays and I can't participate or anytime there's food involved, either I have to bring my own food or I just can't participate. Like things like that can be challenging. And I think that's a challenge for everyone. But I, interestingly, I talked to someone who had converted, who had been raised going to church and everything. And he told me that when he sees a church, it's almost like a temptation. So I don't have that feeling because I had no religious connection before, but I can imagine even the kind of things involved with practicing religion can be difficult to miss out on. I find that kind of the things like you know, like I said, the traditions related to the holidays that we used to do that we don't do anymore. 
I don't feel I'm missing out. I'm actually very relieved sometimes that I don't have to do them with my children, <laughs> like things I don't like about them. And so I'm glad I don't have to feel pressure to do them. Like what? I, I think I don't like the idea of the Santa bringing the presents. First of all, there's a lot of emphasis on presents, which it's a cultural thing. It's not the religious you know, way to do it, probably. But it's a cultural way that a lot of Americans do it. And I like that when we celebrate Hanukkah, which is like they're all often put together, even though just because of the timing. But when we celebrate Hanukkah, we celebrate other holidays. We emphasize the mitzvot associated and we emphasize kind of being together as a family, having a meal. And I prefer it that way. So I'm, I'm glad I don't have to do the Santa Claus kind of thing. I mean, that even kind of, I didn't really like the idea of, oh, you're naughty and you're nice. Like even just categorize as a teacher, categorizing children that way feels wrong to me. And I think most people probably don't practice it that way anymore in today day and age, but I'm glad that that's not something I have to think about. The only equivalent I could think of with Jewish holidays is on Pesach for people who use the language to steal the afikoman. Yeah. A lot of people use language to find the afikoman. But I grew up with the whole stealing thing. That's the one time we're teaching unethical things to our kids (laughs) or lying to them or quote unquote. Everything else seems pretty accurate and morbid if you think about by the partios we teach them about the Jewish right. holidays. It's yeah. very, it can be very violent and not Easter Bunny style. And I don't even know anything about Easter bunnies. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't even know what I'm talking about. Okay, so any closing remarks? I didn't mention this before, but I think when I was going through the conversion process, so many people were so supportive of me and so kind. But then I was also told by many people to not tell my story, not talk about my background. And I think that's not uncommon that people who are converting, whatever their backgrounds are told, you know, keep it quiet. And I think, right, you shouldn't ask someone about it. You shouldn't ask someone about their conversion. I think that that can be rude if someone doesn't want to talk about it, if they don't kind of approach it first. But I just think there should be less shame surrounding it because this is really the first time I've talked about it openly. And I think because I was told not to talk about it openly, I really struggled the first few years to build connections within the from community, even though I had finished my conversion and I was fully Jewish. It was like your history happening again. Like you, you weren't mm-hmm. fully Jewish growing up and now you were Jewish and you can't talk about your past or the fact that you converted. Right. So I could see how that could be a psychological roller coaster. Yeah. And I think it doesn't have to be that way. And I found that now that I'm more open about it, I live in a community where people are accepting and just for other people who have converted, like you don't have to feel this stress about hiding it, I guess, if that's weighing on you, because it was really weighing on me for a long time, this kind of stress and feeling like I couldn't talk about my family or my background because no one could find out. I mean, a lot of that was also, I was dating and whatever, not that like everyone I would would date would know because you have to know those kinds of things about someone before you marry them. It was a dynamic that you had to navigate through dating and through transition for sure. Wow. Yeah. 
Well, I am so honored that this platform was here for you to be able to shout out your story and and your your side of the story to all of the from Jews out there. And when you said, I live in a place that's more accepting, I'm thinking to myself, what does it mean to not be accepting? What's there not to accept? If somebody walks in and their eyebrows are super big, what's there not, you know, that's who they are. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? So not to compare you to eyebrows, but it's something so like, that's how you were born. Right. And, and we, we shouldn't judge anyone, but if we do, we, we should judge them where they are right now. What choices have they made? Not based on the things they were born into. I mean, the more I live in this world, the more people I meet that are accepting. We just don't have the platform to talk necessarily, to share. We have a lot of busy lives and a lot of superficial conversations. And that's why I am so proud to be providing this platform where the real conversations could be happening and in an intimate way, but just so many people at the same time. I know you wanted to add something in. You said before off air that your mother can potentially be sad listening to this episode, thinking that she did raise you Jewish and it wasn't good enough. Yes. So I I mean, I want to thank her. She raised me Jewish. She did such a good job that I'm here today. Um, that Judaism is such an important, it's foundational in my life now. And it's really, you know, I'm grateful to her for kind of start planting that seed for me and for my family. So she's a wonderful person. (laughs) So beautiful. And I hope this helps spread awareness because everyone has to deal with this dynamic in one way or another, sometimes professionally and sometimes unfortunately in their personal lives. Because as you said before, it's so normal that there are so many Jewish slash halakhically non-Jewish children who are living in in this dynamic of two religions or cultural holiday seasons. Yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you. Now this is where you subscribe to the show if you haven't yet to make sure you don't miss a future episode. This podcast can be found on your favorite podcast listening app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or if you're streaming it directly through my website right now, download a podcast listening app or find one on your phone to make this experience easier and more enjoyable for you. As promised, I'd like to tell you what's coming on next week. And that episode was a challenge that was placed on me. Somebody said, you know, if you really want to talk about controversial topics, have someone on with a perspective of somebody who didn't want to give a get. And I found somebody who did end up giving their get, but he kindly shares with us his perspective and his side of the story. And if you do not want to listen to it, you do not have to. However, I think there is value to hearing out the other side and listening to the process, the experience of what happens before or after when people are in situations where they can't seem to get their get. And if you know me, I'm all about talking about the things that aren't being talked about. I'm about giving a voice to the people who don't have a voice. So there is value in that just of in itself. And if you enjoyed this podcast, 
You may enjoy other JewishCoffeeHouse.com podcasts like Chochmat Nashim and Orthodox Conundrum, Intimate Judaism, and Let My People Eat. So go to that website to see if there are other shows that you may enjoy. Thanks again for sending me referrals to my podcast launch business. And thank you for reaching out with your incredible feedback and ideas for future topics. See you next week. Mm-hmm.